Well, at the outset of the Russian invasion of Ukraine a little more than two weeks ago now, it's clear few believed we'd still be witnessing this fight today. Ukraine's military under the leadership of its president have done what so few thought possible and held out against perhaps the not-so-mighty Russians. Allies have responded with money and lethal aid for Ukraine, and the economic devastation of Russia through economic sanctions is just starting to be seen. And yet the war goes on, the invasion goes on. How long can Ukraine hold on? What more can allies do? What are they willing to do? And what lessons should Canada take from this invasion about our own capacity to defend ourselves? To help me look at all of that, Joining me now is the Ottawa Citizens defense reporter, David Pugliese. Thanks so much for being here tonight. I appreciate your time. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. It's such an interesting time to speak to you because obviously I follow your writing and you know this stuff in depth. But I was just wondering from the outset, um, you did write a piece this week about how long Ukraine could hold out. I think that's really the question on everyone's minds. What did you find out? Well, I was just taking a look at the um, uh, the different uh, things that are happening. So it seems like uh, Russia is taking a slower pace. Everyone thought they'd overrun, uh, you know, Ukraine in a matter of days. Uh, now what they seem to be focusing on is uh, uh, laying siege to a number of port cities and, uh, and uh, cutting off uh, supply uh, to the country. Um, but they just seem to be taking their time. A lot of people are suggesting that, you know, this is a failing on the, the Russian uh, military's part. And, you know, there, there are some delays, obviously, but uh, I, I've been reading some other stuff that, that suggests that they're just, they're preparing for a massive offensive. In other words, regrouping. Exactly. You know, it was the same with that 40-mile-long convoy. Um, You know, people are saying, oh, look, they've they've stalled. Well, some people were, uh, some military analysts were saying, no, they haven't stalled. What they've done is they're waiting for, uh, in their rear areas to... Put in, uh, you know, their supply, uh, their their supply depots, their hospitals, that type of thing. Everything you need for, uh, you know, an army on the move. Yeah, I was speaking just a little earlier to Major General David Fraser, retired Major General David Fraser. Something I think you know from mm-hmm. uh, from those Af- from Afghanistan days when he was commanding NATO during Op Medusa, and he was saying that really that's he agreed with you that they're essentially regrouping to do what they should have done from the beginning. And that's after watching the images from the Aleppo's and the and the Groznys. That's a pretty scary, mm-hmm. uh, pretty scary thought, isn't it? Well, it's it's you know I mean if you if you think back to those images, they could you know go all out war and level cities, and, and they've been they've been bombing, but they haven't been been doing that that level of destruction. What um, I mean, when you look at the Ukrainians and the way they've managed to defend um, their land so far. And you've, what would you have made? I mean, and, and the, these arguments come up a lot. What do you make of what they have been asking for now? I mean, all of a sudden, the lethal aid that we had refused to give them for a very long time mm-hmm. started to flow. Mm-hmm. Um, would it have made a difference if it had gone in, if it had arrived to them earlier? Do you think? <laughs> I, I think uh, to a certain extent, I mean, you know, Canada sent $10 million uh, initially uh, worth of lethal aid. Well, this was the lethal aid we had promised the Kurds in 2017, and it had been sitting in a warehouse in Montreal. Um, it could have been sent much earlier because we decided, you know, not to, to provide it to the Kurds. And uh, last year, you know, the Ukrainians were, were asking for that. Um, uh, you know, we had previously supplied the Ukrainians uh, radar sat to uh, satellite imagery. 
uh, and that went for a year, and then we cut them off. Um, so, you know, there is certainly an argument that could be made uh, that we should have, or, or that this material, this support, would have been uh, better used uh, earlier. I mean, the ammunition and the, uh, the, the lethal stuff that we sent, you know, uh, some of it arrived the day before the invasion. There's been a lot of announcements recently uh, by Canada, sort of dribs and drabs of stuff. Uh, perhaps take us a bit behind those announcements. Are we doing enough for, for Ukraine or could we be doing more, do you think? Well, I think the issue is, um, I mean, there's several issues. So you have a Ukrainian uh, military that is based on Russian-type uh, equipment, Russian-manufactured equipment, uh, ex-Soviet stuff. We don't have that. So, you know, we're shipping ammunition, um, and, uh, you know, they're working on a different, uh, most of their weapons are on a different ammunition, uh, type of ammunition. Same with we couldn't exactly ship armored vehicles because you have to you have to learn how to drive those. You have to learn how to, to use those. Uh, so Canada is relatively limited in, in what it could send. They wanted anti-tank uh, weapons, and they got some from, from the Brits and, and that type of thing, anti-tank uh, uh, missiles. Um, we, uh, we got rid of most of our material like that uh, a while ago. Uh, so we sent them, uh, you know, 100 uh, Carl Gustav um, uh, recoilless rifles and 2,000 rounds of ammunition. Um, you know, I think you see the imagery. Um, their uh, their troops are running around with the more modern uh, anti-tank uh, missiles that, that were provided by the British and other allies. You wrote an interesting story this week about uh, about the cameras we provided for those drones, uh, mm -hmm. that they had in fact been banned previously that was that was an interesting that was certainly an interesting insight into to the history of 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 that particular piece of equipment yeah, so the cameras are made by uh, L3 Westcam from uh, from Hamilton, and they're outfitted on a Turkish drone, uh, which has um, uh, had a lot of buyers now because it's been quite successful. It's low cost, um, and it was used in um, in uh, a couple of conflicts and uh, used quite effectively to take out tanks. Uh, last year, um, we cut the Turks off because uh, because the drones were being used in in uh, different uh, different combat scenarios uh we didn't agree with that um and so those cameras are banned to the turks well the ukrainians operate these uh, turkish drones so we're sending uh you know i think it's 30 to 40 cameras to them and uh, i would imagine that that would be uh, for use uh you know as spare parts or to you know insert a new camera if there's any battle damage on that drone but it is it is interesting uh, you know we didn't want them used in in a couple of different wars but it's okay to use it in this war yeah that is that is interesting <laughs> it all depends i guess on who the war is against well, um, exactly <laughs> exactly um were you i mean i wasn't surprised at all that that, that we had announced that we were going to sort of extend our nato mission in latvia indefinitely at this point but but was that uh, what did you make of that yeah, I mean, I think that was a given even before this, even before this war. So uh, it seems to be, uh, you know, the center of our uh, of our um, presence in Eastern Europe. So, yeah, that wasn't a surprise at all. Did you think the trips? I mean, there was some. You know, we saw all the major ministers overseas this week. Did Did you see anything in there that sounded like? I mean, it's always worth face to face meetings. But do you think there was any real um, 
anything, any real developments this week that that, that impressed you? Well, I mean, it was interesting. There was some criticism. I mean, the CBC reporter asked that question and, uh, you know, got a lot of flack for asking it. Um, I I thought it was um, a a decent question. Um, You know, the question was, like, do we need the deputy prime minister, the foreign affairs minister, and the prime minister? Um, And then, you know, he suggested it was a photo op, and, uh, you know, (laughs) it was like, no, this is a photo op. Which it was, to some extent, Which it was. I mean, you you know, they're they're tweeting out, all the ministers and the prime minister, they're tweeting out these photo ops that they're taking. uh, so, uh, you know, you take a look at the polls and, and Canadians, uh, you know, are, are supportive of Ukraine, but they're also worried about the economy and other things uh, domestically. So, you know, I think it's uh, I think it's a question that was valid to ask. Certainly about whether, you know, to be there. I think it's because of the use of the term sort of taxpayer's dime. It got right. kind of skewed yeah. as one of those sort of, you know, it's always about the taxpayer's dime, whereas really the question, I guess, was do we all of you need to be here right now taking selfies exactly. or could you or you know or could you be home right. uh, yeah the po- the popularity of, of this has been um has been interesting i mean clearly canadian there was a global news ipsos poll today that showed that canadians um 81% in favor of how we've been approaching this so far uh but a clear number of canadians not in favor of engaging directly with russia which is an interesting nuance mm-hmm. i think I, I i guess the messaging has worked so far or at least people are aware of where the lines are yeah i mean you know there was a lot of talk uh, ukraine had uh, requested a no fly zone well if you put a no fly zone in that means that nato aircraft including canadian aircraft uh would have to uh, enforce the no fly zone and if a russian aircraft were flying uh you would have to you know either force them out of that airspace or shoot them down and then that would be world war 3 so uh, you know the american president has has said repeatedly um you know this type of thing this direct action isn't going to happen. So. It's a good segue that you mentioned our, our fighter jets, um, mm-hmm. because I did want to speak about what lessons Canada should be learning watching this happen um, in Ukraine, where obviously we share a border, a much more remote border, but we do share a border with uh, with Russia as well. I'm speaking with the Ottawa Citizens Defence reporter, David Pugliese. When we come back, we will talk about what lessons Canada should be taking away from from this invasion and how to and whether we need to really start thinking seriously about upping our defense spending uh, closer to NATO requirements or NATO suggestions, at least, and what else we need to do to modernize our modernize our military. That's next. I'm back with the Ottawa Citizens Defense reporter, David Pugliese. We've been talking about the war in Ukraine. I, I wanted to talk now about just the impact this may have on Canada. I know that it was the 90th Ottawa Conference on Security and Defense this week, something I'm sure you were paying close attention to. Um, it must have come up. Uh, obviously, it came up. But what was the what was said and, and how are Canadian military officials looking at this invasion in terms of how we should be protecting our border with Russia? Well, I think uh, uh, for them, it's uh, it's kind of a, a moment where uh, governments uh, have promised uh, increased defense spending. Um, interestingly, the uh, defense minister today uh, focused on uh, the NORAD renewal. 
the radars in the Arctic need to uh, need to be upgraded, um, and uh, you know they're using the the threat of Russia as the as the catalyst for this. Um, so you know it, it, there's a lot of indications that there, there's going to be uh, more more spending. Um, you know, having watched how they spend uh, <laughs> over the years, um, uh, you know, I think the concern should be whether they're spending properly. Um, you know, we we're, we're building uh, new warships, which started off with a with a budget of fourteen billion dollars, jumped to twenty five billion dollars. Now are uh, looking at costing around seventy billion dollars, and some say they're they're going to end up costing a hundred billion. So. You know, throwing money at defense is one aspect, but getting getting value for money uh, should be, uh, you know, should be a priority. Something that you've spent many, many years examining, yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously. And, and one of the most interesting things when is ever seeing your byline and a headline that says money badly spent. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some other areas where we should have, I think we should have been well ahead of where we are now and are not. Fighter mm-hmm. jets, for instance. Well, I mean, there's, you know, the talk about the, the fighter jets, um, I mean, that's moving at a very, very slow pace. Uh, you know, the conservatives, uh, the Harper conservatives wanted the F-35, then they backed away from that uh, because of the, uh, you know, the backlash from the public. But as well, um, the aircraft was, was going through a lot of technical problems. It still is going through a lot of technical problems. But, uh, you know, there's uh, talk that they're going to uh, uh, name uh, or, or select a new fighter aircraft uh, this year. Um, and then it's going to take uh, around 2026 to, uh, you know, we start getting those those aircraft. So what, in your shoes, having watched the Canadian military for so long, what would you say would be the right approach now with this threat? Um, we understand that it is at least an impetus for the Canadian, for, for politicians and others to look at the Canadian military and say, we better start uh, beefing this up. Uh, where would you start? Is it, do we need another white paper or wh- where do we go? I think we need to determine what we what we want from from a military. I mean, it's interesting. So when you talk to the generals and you talk to military people, they're all focused on overseas. You, you know, Ukraine, Iraq, uh, you know, previously Afghanistan. But if you talk to Canadians, um, they're going to go. You know, forest fire season is going to start in BC in what about a month and a half, maybe <laughs> two months, yeah. or, or flooding is going to start. Uh, probably in in two months uh, forest fires um and 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 so on and there's a real um there's a real interest in, in among Canadians to have their military working domestically, you know, whether it's uh, vaccine uh, distribution, whether it's forest fires, whether it's floods. Um, and with climate change, I think we're going to have to start having a, a discussion about, uh, you know, what, what we use a military for. Yeah, I actually had that conversation with the defense minister long ago in those heady days when we used Mm -hmm. to talk about whether or not we were going to be extending our military training in Ukraine. Um, But we did ask about that because clearly it's putting strain on the military to both be sort of a civil civil guard and helping out in situations of disaster. We've gotten used to seeing them, mm-hmm. uh, as you mentioned, at natural disasters. But at the same time, we used to be a peacekeeping force, then we were a peace-enforcing uh, force, and then we were a, you know, internal. So where do you begin? Yeah, I mean, it's, 
you know, I mean, look at Afghanistan, right? Uh, 15, well, about 15 years in combat, or 14 years, depending on combat and then training. Uh, $20 billion of Canadian tax dollars um, down the drain. Um, you know, 158 dead, uh, 2,000 wounded, um, you know, a lot of mental issues now. And for what? You know, the Taliban are in control as they were in 2000. So, um, you know, there's <laughs> maybe there's got to be some rethinking on how things how things roll out. Uh, we're yeah. still in Iraq. Um, you know, we're still supporting the mission in Iraq, even though ISIL is is um, eh, you know it's still there, but it's it's not as as uh, as as prominent as before. One thing that's come up of late that's been interesting is this idea of being a porcupine. I know it's sort of the Finnish, the Finnish model. Mm. Um, what do you make of that? That's what I would just want to ask you. That's interesting because it feels like we're more of like a soft puppy sometimes when it comes to our own territorial defense stuck between, you know, the two superpowers, or at least the U.S. and Russia. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, I think there would be a real, uh, uh, well, we should be in the Arctic. Um, and we should be, you know, defending the Arctic. But as well, you know, Arctic defense includes um, having people up there, having infrastructure up there. And so it doesn't have to, security doesn't have to be defense, you know, doesn't have to be tanks. Uh, take a look at the pandemic. It uh, decimated or, or severely harmed our economy, uh, killed you know, a fair number of Canadians, and we're 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 talking about a disease. So, you know, do we rethink security? Um, you know, it's interesting. Like for instance, Greece, Greece's military runs the um, the uh, water bombers that uh, deal with forest fires. Right. So it's uh, you know, do we have to be do do we have to be locked into that old, you know, tanks and 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 you know that type of thing? We could certainly take the opportunity to to rethink mm-hmm. being very good at something, something in particular, and being effective at one, being very good at one particular kind of thing. Sure, and that's matter. that's the argument that that some people have made. We have to select what we want to what we want to specialize in. Yet there's uh, uh, some military people that say, no, we have to be you know an all singing, all uh, all dancing uh, military, and and that's why we spent you know two billion dollars worth of tanks. Um, you know, near the end of Afghanistan, uh, and now they're driving around uh, Wainwright, Alberta. <laughs> uh, a last thought to you, where do you think this, uh, we have about a minute, where do you think things are headed in Ukraine in the next week? Uh, there's been talk of a siege of Kiev. There's all sorts of, uh, are your, are your, are, does your gut tell you, tell you this is going to get very ugly? Yeah, I think uh, I think Putin's committed, and uh, he's going to keep going. Uh, I don't know if uh, you know these these sanctions are going to hurt, and uh, they're going to hurt the uh, you know the Russian economy. But uh, he's 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 in all 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 for this, and so he's going to keep moving until uh, until he gets some concessions or some surrender. David Pugliese, thank you so much for uh, for lending me some of your time on a Friday evening. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you.